the financial attention being directed towards water has grown a lot. I am Reese Dizzle, and this is The Future of Water, which we talk about all the ways which companies, utilities, and people are addressing the challenges and opportunities in water. This is episode 89, and increasingly, always, it's going to be a good one. Why is that? Well, I'm joined today by Bluefield analyst Christine Al to discuss her recent research on the role of private equity firms in the digital water segment. Once again, back to back, as we did last episode, we're going to take a little bit of a step back and sort of define some things. We're going to talk about how Bluefield defines digital water for listeners, just for clarity purposes. And then we're going to dig into some key market trends, including private equity investments, key players in the outlook for the rest of 2024 to the best that we can. Why are we talking about private equity in digital specifically? Well, private equity, the sector as a whole globally has grown 13-fold since 2000. More importantly, it's wielding increasing influence over critical infrastructure sectors, including water, wastewater. Uh, This includes everything from strategic investments into services, including technology, such as digital, but also into more tangible assets like utilities, desalination plants. And 2023 was not the uh, best year for everything from PE transactions and M&A to even IPOs. So it's been a little bit uncertain, but given the temperature of of the market that we at Bluefield are feeling right now, private equity is pretty busy. It looks like there's a combination of investors looking for exits, but also they just have lots of available unused or unallocated capital at this point that they need to uh, need to move on. So plenty of dry powder, as they say. So we talk a little bit about that and maybe what this portends for the rest of the year. Lots of good stuff. But before we do that, I thought I'd share some news that caught my attention this past week. Perhaps a perfect segue from the last Future Water podcast, episode 88, and the discussion with Charlie Seuss about private participation in the water sector. Uh, This is always something I get excited about. We've been looking at private water for a long time and big deals always catch my eye or in this case, a potential big deal. In its earnings call last week, Eversource announced its uh, plans uh, or consideration of divesting its Aquarian water business. Uh, Aquarian is an investor-owned water utility in the U.S. with positions in three states, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. Uh, Eversource acquired, I think it was 2017, it acquired Aquarian for $1.7 billion, including debt. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons for this. Uh, One, it sounds like Eversource needs to build up some cash uh, and solidify its position. But more importantly, this signals to, to us and the markets that it's sort of getting back to its core business, which is gas power distribution, retail business, as opposed to generation. So what has happened uh, alongside the Aquarian announcement, uh, the company has also been exiting its offshore wind business because it's taken it on the chin financially with some of those investments. The company reported a $440 million loss this past year because of write-offs and such. So it's been tough sledding for Eversource. And I think, you know, I think it sounds like the management team is basically saying, hey, let's get back to what we what we need to do, what we do. We don't need to be in the generation business on the power side. And also the water business. They've become, while maybe good or bad, they've been, been uh, a bit of a distraction. So why do we care, at least on the water side, 
for the private utility segment that is IOUs of the industry, this is a potentially a big deal. Deals of the size are few and far between. Quarian's one of the, I'd say, seven or eighth largest investor in utility in the U.S. with approximately 235,000 customers. Its biggest position is in Connecticut, then Massachusetts, then New Hampshire. Uh, it had a $1.3 billion uh, rate base in 2023. So it's pretty significant. This is definitely a platform deal. Amidst all of this, Eversource or Aquarian is also in a regulatory battle with Connecticut's uh, public, reg- with the utilities regulator, Pura. It raises a lot of questions, including the role of IOUs in the state. The company is also, you know, this has been protracted and lots of back and forth. Um, our team is closely also watching Connecticut Water. They have a pending rate case in the state, and we're looking to see how that unfolds in Q2 compared to what's been going on with Eversource. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because that may have some implication or some influence on any deals going forward. Like I said, Connecticut is Aquarian's biggest state. The regulator is doing a number of different things. Um, and, you know, Eversource is getting out. And so I think one question is, does this reduce some exposure for Eversource? Connecticut, to follow up on that, it's regulators, similar actually to those in Hawaii, seem to be pushing more towards uh, performance-based rate measures than what we're seeing in other states. Whole nother discussion. But lastly, and maybe most importantly, this is a platform deal, as I mentioned, that strategic and strategics and outsiders looking into the water industry Um we'll see as a potential prize. Utility deals of the size, like I said, are not common. Outsiders looking in are often frustrated by the typical starting point for utility ownership in the US. You know, I think as Charlie mentioned last or a couple of weeks ago on the Future Water podcast that the majority, I'd say 65-70% of utility acquisitions are small. And we've seen companies come in and try to pick off large deals. Uh, if you go to the large munis, it is a political cesspool of vitriol and public town hall meetings that drag out for a long time because of concerns about private ownership. So therefore, you know, the private side and there are a number of them. And that's really where a lot of the stress is financially um, on these small systems. So it makes sense that IOUs are going after these uh, smaller systems. So this is unique and something from which a new owner can build on, whether it be organically, but also through M&A, particularly in the New England region. So a number of large, you know, the larger platform deals that we've seen in the past, just to you can almost put them on, count them on one hand. Eversource Aquarian, when they did that in 2017, as I mentioned, San Jose Water, our SJW group, they acquired Connecticut Water several years ago. Uh, this past year, as uh, Southwest Water and Corex uh, merged, came together. That was a relatively big deal. Um, Violi acquired Suez, and that rolled up a number of uh, Suez's utility positions in the U.S. And then also, for it's worth mentioning that the Dutch pension fund, uh, PGGM, bought uh, 20% stake in 15 uh, Suez utilities actually just uh, subsequent to Suez acquiring GE Water. So those are a number of uh, larger deals that we've seen. And so this would definitely be a big one. So it's going to attract a number of key players, whether it be strategics. So there are a couple of strategics 
that uh, have over overlapping footprints uh, in some of these states that uh, may make it attractive. Like I mentioned, private equity, um, thats they've got plenty of cash. They like uh, the sector uh, in some respects because it also falls in line with some of their uh, clean tech investment strategies. Then outsiders looking in, you know, other critical infrastructure players, this could be a play uh, for someone um, looking to get in um, at scale, which is hard to do. So big news. I know we have some research coming out on it probably in the next week or so. Um, I've already seen some drafts, some research on uh, where Eversource or an Aquarian stack up against the peer group and who potential suitors might be, but also a little bit of discussion about what's happening in Connecticut. That being said, if you're interested in any analysis on this or any data, about our private water sector and, and analysis, reach out to us at waterexperts at bluefieldresearch.com. So with that being said, let's get to it. Let's get Christine in on the conversation. All right. So I'm joined here by Christine Ow. Christine, how's it going? Long time uh, no speak. Yeah, I'm doing well. Happy to be back on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, actually, you just came back. This is your first week back from, uh, from being in Singapore. Good trip overall. Yeah, it was nice to see family, celebrated Lunar New Year. So yeah, very happy to be back in Boston and back in action. Nice. Well, so while you were away, right before you left, uh, we published a report looking at um, the role of digital or of private equity firms in the digital water space. And so now that you're back, clients have access to it. Thought I'd bring you on to have a quick discussion about sort of what uh, what we talked about and uh, what we are finding as far as that sub-segment of players goes within the digital water space. So let's step back though. I think in the intro, I'd mentioned, you know, last week or a couple of weeks ago, I had Charlie Seuss on and we were talking about private water. And the way we started was let's define private water. I mean, I think digital water also has, you know, the question comes up periodically to us at Bluefield from clients and prospects and people in the industry, like what is digital water? It's pretty big, pretty broad. So why don't I just cut straight to the chase with you? And that is when you see digital water, when you think about it, what is it and how do we at Bluefield define it? Yeah. The definition of digital water definitely varies depending on who you talk to, whether it's vendors or utilities. But we here at Bluefield, we take a relatively broad definition of digital water. To put it simply, we kind of define digital water as anything related to data in the water sector. So this includes technology to collect the data, such as the meters and monitors, transmit the data like IoT networks, as well as process and operationalize the data, such as those various asset management tools that we see out here in the industry. Um, we also look at cutting edge stuff like AI that's becoming increasingly prevalent throughout the, uh, throughout the sector. Alongside these technologies, we also include relevant services into our definition, such as GIS and SCADA integration, meter installation, and even distribution as well. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting, you know, digital water as a term, uh, we obviously use it a lot. We have a, a serve insight service or subscription, you know, focused on this area. Back in 2017, 2018, uh, my memory is somewhat hazy now, but when we launched the digital water service, prior to that, the discussion at the time was, well, what do we name the service? And at the time you, there was a, 
it was more prevalent, I think, than it even is now. And that was smart water. You know, how do we make, you know, how do we make the network smart, you know, smarter? Um, there are lots of discussion and sort of a little anecdote is, you know, the Europe team, quite honestly, was really pushing for the use of smart water. It was more common on the U.S. side. We were pushing more for digital. We thought it was more forward looking kind of, you know, we were thinking about digital economies and digital transmission to your point of data. But one of the reasons we, at least one of the many reasons we went with digital as opposed to smart was uh, when you do Google searches in the U.S., when you look up smart water, and it, I mean, I don't, if anybody who's done it, the first person that comes up is Jennifer Aniston and the smart water bottled company. So, you know, if you go to any airport in the U.S., it feels like they're selling smart water at every Starbucks. But the point being that um, for brand recognition, but also just so, you know, even site engine optimization, you know, if we put smart water, we'd still be 10 pages down in the list. So that was one of the reasons why we've gone with digital. So let's get to some nuts and bolts, right? Thanks for the definition. So you've recently done a deep dive into the role of private equity in water, as we mentioned. So even that begs the question, what was the impetus behind that analysis? Why did we do it? And what was the drive, particularly given what's been happening over the last year to year and a half with M&A trends overall, venture, private equity investments, IPOs? What's uh, What was the driver? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a couple of reasons why we decided to look at the role of private equity within the water sector. Um, firstly, there's just been an exponential rise in the amount of capital held by private equity firms. Yes, there's been a lot of variations in terms of how the market has been with M&A trends, VC trends, IPO trends. But as of 2022, private equity firms actually now manage over 7.6 trillion U.S. dollars in global capital, which understandably is pretty significant. The role of private equity is growing in our everyday lives in various sectors, and it's something that we see talked about in the news every so often. What's interesting, though, is that despite this mass of capital held by these firms, around $2.2 trillion is actually, was actually uninvested in 2022, which was an all-time high. Looking at the water sector specifically, we have observed a growing interest from private equity firms looking to water as an opportunity for growth. There has been an emergence of firms specifically focused on investing in water, such as Science, Symbiote Capital, XPV Water Partners. But there are also familiar names that we are seeing starting to get into the space, such as New Mountain Capital, Bain Capital, the Carlisle Group, Richwood, Blue Wolf, Middle Ground Capital, Golden Gate Capital, KKR, BlackRock. Honestly, it would take me three days just to finish that list. That is to say, the financial attention being directed towards water has grown a lot over the years. There are many reasons for this, including climate change and growing concern over water quality, as well as aging infrastructure assets in places like the U.S. as well as Europe. Private equity firms are also increasingly establishing climate-related investment themes, and there is an industry push, at least in the finance sector, towards ESG. Therefore, water is an opportunity for them. 
Private equity's growing interest in water makes a lot of sense, in my opinion, because for one, it's a relatively stable industry since it is highly regulated, which can help firms hedge against broader market volatility. Also, the water sector is highly fragmented, with a seemingly infinite number of privately owned and operated companies that are potentially attractive investments for private equity firms. Yeah, I mean, I think your last point that I mean, that's really the the target for these firms, you know, basically private owned firms. So that's interesting. I think, you know, also, you know, just the broader wave, I think, you know, water as a whole has been sort of, uh, I mean, we've said this a number of times, out of sight, out of mind. Um, but given what's happening everywhere from Cape Town and Day Zeros to the Colorado River to um, in lack of water because of drought to also not to be overlooked, things like Flint, Michigan or Jackson, Mississippi, the list of calamities, so to speak, is immense. And quite honestly, the the one thing that uh, we can't live without is water. So demand will always be there no matter what. The question is, can we either newly deliver in maybe emerging markets or select markets, or can we rehabilitate our systems? I mean, we, there's really no choice in that case. So next question for you is, why digital water? Why the focus of PE firms in, in this space? Well, first off, I am the digital water analyst here at Bluefield. So naturally, what I'm really looking at and interested in when it comes to our work are these market trends and evolving company strategies when it comes to digital water. At the same time, digital solutions are becoming increasingly prevalent, and some might even argue that digital is essential for the water sector. So as demand for these solutions grow from municipalities and industry, private equity firms are responding and investing within the space. The rise of buzzwords like clean tech and climate tech is, is also interesting to consider in terms of how it has influenced uh, investment strategies from these firms. As I mentioned, many private equity firms are becoming more sustainability minded, but growing in parallel is a rising interest in innovative, cutting edge technologies. We live in a chat GPT world now, so as private equity firms um, they're not just investing in traditional water segments. In fact, from our research, we actually observed that firms are investing in digital companies with solutions applicable in water and adjacent industries like electricity and gas. But investing in digital water um, and water at large is not easy, and it's been a weird couple of years. The market has been rather soft lately due to economic uncertainty, geopolitical instability, rising interest rates, among a host of other reasons. Bluefield actually tracks global M&A deals across various segments, including digital water. And from our data, we see that private equity deal making in the digital water space has been slow since 2022. The digital water market will continue to grow. That is something that we're confident in. And therefore, for the most part, we expect to see more activity from PE firms as macroeconomic conditions continue to stabilize. Yeah, I think even, I think I said it in the intro, I can't remember at this point, but basically that um, there's a lot of activity as far as temperature checks go uh, on the Bluefield side. It feels like there's been uh, opening of the floodgates no pun intended, but useful as far as PE firms in there, and not just digital, but overall. But let's so let's narrow the the 
scope of this discussion even further. So as we work our way down the funnel, what about highlighting a couple trends that you've seen in your analysis when it comes to sort of broader market trends specific to digital? Yeah, for sure. So between 2016 to 2023, Bluefield recorded 415 digital water M&A deals, of which almost 50 were made by private equity firms. Regarding how these firms are investing, most are targeted at companies addressing industry pain points like deep leak detection, uh, asset management, and cybersecurity, companies offering work and asset management solutions and network and plant management solutions collectively account for around 70% of these private equity M&A deals. Looking at the product type of these targets, private equity firms skew in favor of technology pure plays, which account for just about half of the deals. Around 20% of deals are for these service-focused firms. Given what we know about the water industry here at Bluefield, as well as some of the things that we've already discussed so far in this podcast, these findings definitely aligned with our expectations. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, it's, um, I think Eric Bindler, maybe even on this podcast, but also just in our quarterly reporting, I mean, it really, as far as a digital investment or M&A activity, it really ramped up towards 2021. And then COVID-related market conditions, macroeconomic-related things did start to slow down, as you mentioned. But of the firms you looked at and of the deal flow, any takeaways when you sort of narrow it a little bit further? Yeah. So as a part of our research, Bluefield, we actually identified and profiled 28 key PE firms that are currently active in digital water. These firms range in size and industry focus from the large and highly diversified firms like EQT Partners and Vista Equity Partners to smaller water peer plays like XPV and Symbria, as I had uh, mentioned earlier. Some interesting groupings actually emerge when we look at all of these firms together. As I mentioned, we have the water pure plays specialized in investing within the sector. There are also firms that specifically target companies that provide technology and software solutions, such as Silverlake, Cell KKR, and Insight Partners. For these players, understandably, their investments skew towards companies that provide unique software and technology solutions. A final group of firms I kind of want to highlight here are the infrastructure investors. For example, Audix Private Equity, Midwest Mezzanine Funds, and Industrial Growth Partners. For them, what was interesting is that they are largely investing in service-type solutions, such as SCADA integration, condition assessment, and cybersecurity. Of course, when we talk about private equity, we need to talk about value creation. And a different type um, and different types of firms have different strengths when it comes to this. A typical play out of the private equity handbook is buy and build, where portfolio companies expand their offerings and market footprint through acquisitions. There are also roll-up acquisitions, where a firm acquires several small companies and merge them to form a single larger enterprise. Given the financial requirement behind these strategies, larger private equity firms are better equipped to execute them. Smaller firms, on the other hand, um, especially those with specialized industry knowledge, are able to provide more customized support, such as operational support to refine 
processes like HR and financial management, strategic hiring by identifying and attracting valuable talent to a company, and even market advisory, helping forge those valuable industry connections and partnerships. This variability was definitely very interesting to see through the course of this research. Yeah, I think one of the points you brought up that admittedly just came to mind is, you know, there are these firms that sort of, they acquire the company then, you know, and I don't honestly, maybe, you know, but maybe it's worth another discussion. And that is I'm using New Mountain Capital, for example, they, they acquired Inframark several years ago and they've made a number of different acquisitions, but now they've started, I think last year, they started acquiring SCADA system integrators, right? And that for us, that kind of falls into the digital water landscape. And what, you know, what Inframark is really an O&M utility O&M service provider. Primarily, they've moved moving into industrial to some extent, but looking at SCADA systems, because there is some synergies between those two businesses, but it is a bit of a digital play because they see efficiencies to be gained, um, not only operationally, but, you know, value add across um, a wider, uh, I guess, broader footprint of clients and customers. So that's pretty interesting to see. So you pointed out um, it, I think you brought it up a little while ago, and that is that uh, the water sector, it's, it's not for the meek. It's not, it's not an easy place in which to get in. And sometimes this may or may not be frustrating for private equity firms. Do you have any perspective on that? Yeah, definitely. The water sector can be tough to play in when it comes uh, from the perspective of a financial player. But at least when it comes to digital water, it is a fast growing market, but it will come with its unique challenges that in some part is due to the nature of the water sector. The industry is notoriously slow moving due to its risk averse nature. So investors can expect longer than average exit terms and slower end user sales cycles. The digital water market also has a very narrow investable middle market, which is where private equity firms would usually play. Most firms are either still in the startup stage, making them more ideal for venture capital investments, which have a higher risk appetite, or they're on the other end of the spectrum and are very well capitalized incumbents that wouldn't be a target for private equity firms. That is to say, when it comes to digital water, Fortune will favor the patient as well as firms with a deep understanding of the water sector at large so that they can adapt to how this industry continues to evolve from now into the future. Yeah, I think your last point is a really good one. Truly, patience is a virtue in the water sector. I speak the truth on that. I think also, you know, depending on what the firm has traditionally looked at or been active in, you know, there is this convergence as we talk about tech and or a mature critical infrastructure segment, one of which is very mature, the other which is sort of high flying with, you know, high margins, high growth. So there has to be some reconciliation of the two in many cases. That being said, I think you mentioned this is while the water market as a whole is pretty stable, moves at a mature pace. Um, within that stack, digital or certain digital segments, and it also depends on where you are in the world, whether it's say Europe versus the US, what the focus or what the growth is, um, that does make a difference. Like the US, for instance, is a very uh, metering intensive market. It's a big metering market where Europe less, uh, to a lesser extent is. So um, 
That's really interesting. I, there's some good analysis in here. I know for the listeners that we've been looking at this for a while. Um, over the course of 2023, we kind of looked at it and said, oh, what's happening? The market's slow. It's a little um, it's a little sluggish as far as PE roles or activity in the space. And part of that was to kind of get to 2024. Like I said, there seems to be uh, some unlocking of, of capital. I think, Christine, you mentioned it, is there's sort of record numbers out there. There's so much available or dry powder, as we've said in the past, available for investment. That plus, whether it be ESG or sustainability or just more efficient operations. I mean, that's real in risk mitigation. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about ESG. There's opportunity out there and, and the need for capital. So there's a bit of rebalancing that's happened um, over the past couple of years. Well, Christine, thanks for jumping on. This is super helpful, quick and easy. So I appreciate that. But before I let you go, anything else you're working on now that uh, you want to share with others? Yeah, for sure. So every quarter we here at Bluefield, we prepare a quarterly review, kind of giving a bird's eye view of some of the latest happenings within the market. So I'm in the process of preparing that for the digital water service. Also working on a client briefing about Digital Twin, which is very exciting. We know that that's something that a lot of people are getting increasingly interested in. But with that, also a lot of questions of what that means, what kind of technology is that? So having a great time digging into that information. And we're also working on updating a bunch of our dashboards. So yeah, lots of things in the pipeline. Yeah. I mean, speaking of private equity, just recently, it was earlier in the year, maybe it was end of, end of 2023, we released a vendor landscape uh, across the digital space. So We've got what fifteen hundred to two thousand companies that we track, and so we've you know, and that's been useful for quite honestly private equity firms that are looking to make acquisitions and dig into sectors. It's basically a company list: what, where, when, how, and who, and so on uh, of these firms that is available on our data dashboard platform. But you did work on that, so super helpful. So look forward to this upcoming research and. Uh, Much appreciated for the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, take it easy. Okay, that was great to have Christine on. Super helpful, uh, super knowledgeable. I'm glad I could pin her down after she just got back from Singapore. So if you're interested in our analysis of the role of private equity in digital water, you can go to www.bluefieldresearch.com. But before I sign off, if you're in Boston, Barcelona, or anywhere, just reach out and let us know. We're always happy to meet you. We've got a couple of conferences coming up. Actually, I'm at the PVC Pipe Association uh, when this is being released. So I'll be in Costa Rica. And then uh, I think there we just were at World Water Tech in London. We've got water reuse in Denver coming up. I'm going by memory now. So uh, we just attended UMC where I think that was really positive uh, for the Bluefield team and those that were there. And uh, obviously coming down the pipe is our conferences like ACE. Even before then, I think in April, I will be attending the NAWC, National Association of Water Companies, President's Meeting in Orlando. I think that's about April 9th-ish. But you can find all of the stuff on our website. If you go to the top of the page and uh, of the banner, you'll find events somewhere in one of those dropdowns. But give us a review. Be super helpful. We've gotten some positive feedback in recent weeks. And always uh, a nice uh, kudo goes a long way for the rest of our team. If you have uh, questions or ideas for topic ideas, let us know. Send us a note at waterexperts at bluefieldresearch.com. 
And because I, like I always say, we're doing this for you. And lastly, tell a friend about it. This podcast and these water industry insights have been brought to you by the one and only Bluefield Research. To learn more about us, visit us once again at bluefieldresearch.com. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and take care. Yeah.